Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome to the program. Uh, this is Alicia Tan sitting in for Richard Surrett, who's under the weather tonight, resting by a cozy fireplace with a hot cup of tea. And we wish him recovery. We have an amazing lineup for you tonight. And before I tell you about that, let me just introduce myself. Ali Siratan, that's me, from Think Again Productions. In December of 1999, I felt the call of the Holy Spirit to go to Iran and warn my dad of a prophetic war with Israel. And ended up being an amazing trip marked by the supernatural and the hand of God. Many people came to faith in Jesus. And then on the road to Isfahan, my dad, his wife, and me had a close-up UFO sighting. This led to the making of a groundbreaking documentary, UFOs, Angels, and Gods, that we released in 2006. And oh boy, did we receive an anointing from God that showed us what was behind the veil from coming satanic deceptions that can affect the entire world and involve the UFO phenomenon to the relationship between the gods of the ancient world and the fallen angels, the giants of old and the hybrids of our age, Make sure you go to the website thinkagainproductions.com and you can watch the documentary there for free. Always leave a donation if you can. And on our YouTube channel, you can hear about the trip to Iran. It was mind-blowing. My friend, Dr. Chuck Missler, who's passed away now, is there on the documentary opening this whole thing up for us. Now let's turn to our guests tonight. The lineup we have for you is amazing two one-hour shows first hour we have pastor carl gallup a regular on the show best-selling author speaker pastor he used to be a police officer in a previous life and judging by his latest book he is also a poet we've been we are going to open up this book for you tonight it's called glimpses of glory and the pastor is going to take us into this deep understanding of the multidimensional reality of the Bible. I'm so curious to find out what exactly that is, the multidimensional reality of the Bible. Amazing, the book of books. In the second hour, we're going to turn our attention to the pandemic with Paul Levy and the mind virus. How much of this whole thing is in our heads, folks? I look forward to discussing that with Paul. Let me welcome Pastor Gallup to the program. Welcome, Pastor. How are Al, you? Ali, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to meet you, my brother. Richard uh, speaks very highly of you. And yes, I, I count him as a dear, longtime friend. We've been through a lot together. And um, please wish him well for me. And my prayers are with him. I love him. Uh, Richard and his family. I've been up to Toronto before. Uh, I preached a prophecy conference that he put on, and he invited me to come up. And uh, so I've I've actually met him in person, and and his and his boys. And uh, anyway, it's just great to be here, and it's great to be with you. Well, we're very uh, happy to have you tonight, Pastor. And I did meet you briefly in that time where you were in Toronto. Um, so. I'm curious about this this new book, and I have to say that I'm really amazed at the lyric poetry that's through this book. I didn't realize you were <laughs> such a poet. Well, thank you for using that word, but I want your audience to know it's, it, it's not written in prose. I wasn't trying to be a poet. I, I was just, I was trying to bring the Bible alive and to insert the reader in the third person in into the Word of God, beginning in the Garden of Eden. Uh, actually, the book doesn't begin there. It's kind of written like a movie script where it kind of takes you into the future first and then backs up and shows you how it got there. Uh, but, uh, but basically, the storyline goes from the Garden of Eden all the way through the scriptures to the coming of the Christ 
to uh, right up to the cross, to the resurrection, uh, and, and then right on through to the book of Revelation, the, the, the John, the revelator who wrote it, I take you to the island of Patmos with him, uh, giving you a glimpse into his heart of what he saw, the glory he saw, and then you're actually with him on his deathbed as he enters behind the veil and goes into the presence of the Lord. So it's from the Garden of Eden to the death of John the Revelator, and it's written like a novel. Uh, and and but but it's it's not it's it's fiction in that I have to insert some words and I and some conversation and I made up a few characters that kind of fill in the gaps and are a part of the story. But there's doctrinally it follows the word of God and and there's nothing fiction about the message that it's that it's telling. And uh, if you're describing me as a poet, I take that as a great compliment because, in other words, I guess you're saying that it kind of draws you in and it uh, and it and it's dramatic enough to pull you into the story. Is 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 that what you're saying? Well, it really touches the heart. Thank you know you. the way the way that it is written. It touches the heart. Yes, it draws you in in that sense because when something touches the heart, you really are compelled to keep reading. Thank you. Um, Pastor, tell me about this multidimensional reality of the Bible. What do you have in mind when you say that? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Allie, for, for asking me. I love talking about this because, all right, first, let me just start at the beginner's level. Now, I'm not talking down to you, and I'm not talking down to your audience, and probably everything I'm going to say you already know, and you're being gracious and tossing me a softball, but but, but probably some in your audience have never even thought of this before. So let me start at, at, a, at a basic level, and then we can get as deep as you want to get with it, because it explains so much, like your next guest is going to talk about, you, you, you know, multiple dimensions, really, and UFOs and all of that. So, um, and, and I write a lot about that as well. But the bottom line is, yes, from the opening pages of the Word of God to the last pages of the Word of God, we are exposed literally to multiple dimensions of reality. Of course, you know, there's heaven, there's hell, there's paradise, there's the great chasm, uh, uh, there's, you know, Jesus, or I am the way, I am the gate. We could put that in the modern terminologies, and he, what he's saying is, I'm the portal. Nobody comes unto the Father, nobody comes unto the reality, the realm of the Father, but by me, I'm the portal by which you pass into this other dimension. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you shall be with me, you will be with me. And I love those words, you will be, you will have being, you, the real you, will have being with me in paradise. So, But how's that going to happen? They're dying on the cross in this world. In this physical life, they're going through agony and pain and, and reality. It's fleshly pain and reality. Yet, Jesus tells him, in just a few more moments, you close your eyes. <laughs> in death, the world calls it, but instantly you will be alive. We will walk through a veil. I am the portal. I am the way. I am the door. We're getting ready to step into paradise. And by the way, that word paradise in Greek it has a corresponding word in Hebrew. Uh, in Greek, it's 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 pronounced like paradisio and and it, paradise. But the Hebrew word that expresses that very same idea is Gan Eden, Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. If that, that's what it means. He says, you'll be with me in the Garden of Eden, which, watch, watch, Ali, has always been there. It's another dimension that has been sealed off by the cherubim, the book of Genesis tells us, chapter 3. So, I mean, on and on and on I could go. The rich man and Lazarus and the great chasm in between, those, those, those are dimensions. And what I want the audience to understand is, look, God does not live in the universe. The Bible says Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, he, he created the universe and everything in it, and everything that was created was created by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. So he's outside of time. The Bible says a thousand years is like a day to him. A day is like a thousand years. He's in, a, he's in the, the outside of the dimension of time. He's outside the dimension of being limited to just this physical earthly realm. He, he says in Revelation, he says, I hold the keys to life and death. I hold the keys 
to everything, all the dimensions. I created them. Quantum physics, quantum mechanics. Jesus said, I created that. That's what holds everything together. I am light, light at the smallest level of quantum mechanics, photoelectric energy. That's what holds atoms together. And Jesus says, but I am the light. And in the very beginning in Genesis, we're told that the first thing God spoke He spoke and created light, which holds everything together. So once the readers of God's word, once we understand what the writer of Hebrews was trying to tell us, you cannot please God unless first you just believe that he is. And all things were made, things that we see were made by things that we cannot see, meaning spiritual realm, also meaning the quantum level the molecular atomic level and and even smaller than that all of it is is god's creation so we're introduced if people know what they're looking for and if they understand this concept they will see this all the way through the word of god every time an angelic visit is presented in the bible where are they coming from i mean look look abraham in genesis it says he looks up and sees three men coming well we discover as we continue to read it's really Yahweh himself and two angels. The two angels are going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's if they're standing with God, the creator. Now, where did they come from? Did they live in the mountains? Did they wander down from the mountains? Did they, you know, did they ride in on a spaceship? Did they fly in on an airplane at an airport somewhere? No, no. They walked through a portal. They came from another dimension. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 6 when he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Oh, we see that in this world, but it's against the powers in the unseen, and the, and, and the word in the Greek there that we translate in the English is unseen realms. We can put a more modern term there and say, in unseen dimensions of reality, these living beings exist. And they are angelic in some one realm. They are demonic in other realms. And we are living in this worldly realm. Does that make sense, Ali? That makes a lot of sense. It's fascinating. I think that people intuitively know that there is more to this world than yes. what we see with our naked eyes. Yes. Um, you know, you, you mentioned in your book, uh, there's references to the Passover. And as you were speaking. Oh, yeah. The thoughts came to my mind that the blood of the lamb was placed on a doorpost. Yes. Uh, very much if, if Jesus is the lamb, uh, then, then somehow the cross is not just an atonement instrument, but looking at the doorpost, it is the gateway it is to the, gateway. the resurrected life. That's right. It, that was a picture. Everything about the Exodus, and Ali, I'm so glad. I, I knew you would know this stuff, and, and it, it thrills me to know this, that other people understand this. But when you look at the Exodus account, it really happened. It was a real thing. Moses was real. The slavery in Egypt was real. Joshua was real. But it is also a picture. See, before God completes where he's going with all of this, he gives us pictures along the way. Pictures. And this is a huge picture. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. The children of Israel are God's people. They were in captivity and sin to Satan, if you will. They come out of that captivity. How? Uh, Moses is a prophet that shows them the way. What's the way? Take a lamb. Choose it on the 10th day of Nisan. Uh, slaughter it on the 14th day. And it has to all be done in a perfect way, in a perfect male lamb, etc., etc. Then you take the blood and you apply it at the top of the doorpost and on both sides. And then what's at the top is going to drip down to the bottom right under it. I mean, you've got the shape of the cross over a door and you have to go through that door under the blood of that lamb in order to be passed over by God's judgment and wrath. So what do you do when you come inside? Well, you 
consume the lamb. That's what did Jesus say? You must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to follow me. And you know, it's a picture of the last supper. It's a picture of his sacrifice. It's a picture of coming out of Egypt. It's a picture of the Passover. Uh, but, but a lot of people didn't understand it. The Bible says many of those that were around him left him at that time. He turned to his disciples and said, are you going to leave me too? And they said, no, you alone have the words of life. Who else do we, would we turn to? Where else would we go? But they began to understand. And now we understand on the other side that that whole thing was a picture of salvation, of through Jesus, through the blood of the lamb. You have to go through the door. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the gate. In other words, I am the portal. Nobody comes into my father's house. And of course, the homes of the Israelites would represent that if they're under the blood. You got to go through the door under the blood shaped in the form of a cross. And by the way, the blood of the lamb was applied, the Bible says, with a hyssop branch. I mean, you know, what was Jesus the, offered up to him, the sponge with the wine and, and, and the medication that he refused? It was a hyssop branch while he was on the cross living it out as the Lamb of God. So again, it's, it's on every page almost of Scripture. There's something there about the multiple dimensions of this life that we're living. Uh, I, I'm going to hush and let you ask questions and talk, but in, in a few minutes, please ask me about an earthly illustration that I give to people about this multiple dimension thing, because some people still think, I just can't wrap my head around it. So I can give a parable. I can bring it down to a very fleshly way of understanding it that brings the spiritual to life. Well, but go ahead. Them. Go ahead, Pastor, because that's that's relevant to what you're saying. Okay. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate it. Well, the, you can. Okay. Here's how I describe it. I think, yes, it's in Glimpses of Glory. I actually have it in there, um, and I, I preach and use it so often I couldn't remember, but yes, it's in my book, Glimpses of Glory, in, in an appropriate place, but it, I use this example. Look, at the bottom of the deepest trenches in the ocean, Mariana's Trench and some of those places, three, four, some almost five miles deep, we now know that at the bottom of these deep trenches and at the ocean floor are these hydrothermal vents just vents of hot water that pour out of the core of the earth. And, and it brings life, this water, and it, it brings an ecosystem four or five miles deep. So we now know from sending you know, probes and submarines down there, uh, that, and we've photographed these things, we know that around these vents are entire ecosystems. Think about it, three or four or five miles deep. I mean, next time you go up in an airplane, and you, you know, and you, yeah. and, and you get up 25,000 feet, close to 30,000 feet, look down. And that's what it's like. If you're at the surface of the ocean, you look down. I mean, everything disappears. Cars disappear. Humans disappear. Basically, roads begin to disappear. Even houses. All you see are the geographical patterns of the earth below. That's how deep these things are in the ocean. So I tell people, look. Around those ecosystems are, I'm going to call them hydrothermal vent crabs, fish, um, uh, plant life that they can feed on. I mean, it's, 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 it's an ecosystem. Now, let me just say this. What if hydrothermal vent fish, I'm, I'm going to be a little funny here, but this will make the point. It's a parable. What if they could talk yeah. to each other and they theorize with each other about their life and their world? I'm making air quotes, their world. So they look around them, and if they look out, all they see is darkness, blackness. If they look up, and how do they know which way is up, but they look up from their perspective, all they see is blackness. Well, of course, because they're five miles deep, four miles, three miles deep in water. That's all they know to their life and to their world. And so one of them theorizes with the other one and says, you know, our world goes on forever and ever. Look up. All you see is blackness. The, our universe, is just it just goes on forever and ever. There's no end. Well, but what they don't know is there is a so-called end, but it's another dimension. If they could go up and up and up and up, they could break through, see and experience the surface in the same way we do. What do they see? Nine, eight billion human beings, 27 million species of life, mm. a whole new world. And if they could continue to look up, they would see the, the stars and the moon and the sun and deep space. If they looked in a microscope, they could see the quantum level. If they could get up in an airplane, they could fly over the earth and they could see, oh my gosh, 
we, all along, we were existing in this multidimensional ball that's floating in space, hanging on nothing, which is another dimension. I mean, it's an example of dimension after dimension after dimension folding in on itself. And the fish have no idea, Ali. And so that's what the word of God's trying to tell us. We're the fish at the bottom of the ocean. There are unseen realms to us. And just because we can't see them, just because we can't fathom them, does not mean they don't exist. And God's word tells us they do. It's amazing. You know, the the, the creation, the universe is an absolute mystery to us. You're right, because we don't even know where we are. We don't even know yeah. where the universe is. We lack context. Right. And so anything is possible. We really have to open our minds. It's interesting how our culture has been taught to look at things through a very narrow perspective, going back to the oh, yeah. age of enlightenment and to secularism. And we have lost the awe of looking into the universe. When I go back to the Middle East, that's one difference I see there. There's a natural awe when people... I call it the miracle molecule, carbon-60 or C60 from my good friends at Evo C60. I take a tablespoon every morning. It delivers more than 172 times the power of vitamin C. C60 is a known antiviral, antioxidant, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, and it's a remedy that works. C60 Evo can slow down the aging process by reducing cellular damage. C60 Evo users consistently enjoy better sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. I sleep like a baby. I have no aches or pains. Zero. I'm 58 and I don't have a gray hair on my head. And I have boundless energy. Get your miracle molecule in a bottle. C60 from c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Use the coupon code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you have a medical concern, please contact your healthcare provider. Have you subscribed to my newsletter yet? It's fast, easy, and absolutely free. Just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and then click on subscribe. All I need is your email address, and that's it. Then, once a month, you'll receive my newsletter, Inner Sanctum, in your email inbox. The Inner Sanctum contains a monthly brief, a column of my analysis of the news and opinions. There's a This Month in UFO or Conspiracy History, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of this radio program, a book club, my podcast pick of the month, a spotlight on a previous guest, and much more. Join the Strange Planet community by signing up for your free subscription to Inner Sanctum. Again, go to strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on subscribe. It's a strange planet. Welcome back, Welcome back. to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Hello and welcome back to the program as we continue our conversation with Pastor Carl Gallup. Um, I'm Ali Sietatan from Think Again Productions. So this multidimensionality, the multidimensional reality of the Bible, it's really fascinating what you're saying. I'm starting to understand what you mean by this word, the, the amazing interconnectivity of worlds, the world of God and angels, the realm of man, and the very way the Bible is put together. Let me ask you, one thing that um, we were talking about the Passover lamb and the relationship between the doorpost, the gateway to the resurrected life and the cross. And looking at these pictures, you were saying the Bible presents pictures for us leading to Christ and leading to the New Testament. Yeah. I wonder about this picture of the tent of meeting. I wonder about the picture of the temple itself. Yeah. What is this painting for us? This this place suddenly that appears on the stage of history, uh, in the stage of the world where God and man are to meet. What yes. is this a picture of? Yeah, it's all connected to the seven feasts of the Lord, the temple, the tabernacle first, and then the temple. Um, by the way, I have my camera on. Can you see me? Or I can't it... see you as well, yes. Okay, good. I, I don't know if the audience can or not. It doesn't really matter as long as they can hear me. But bottom line is, um, 
Uh, yeah, it, it, all of these are pictures. I mean, this is how God communicates with us. He, we're created in his image. We can think, we can have pictures. That's Jesus taught in parables. What's he doing? He's planting pictures in people's minds and souls. So, as I said, before he does anything completely, he first shows us pictures, the very word. I'm going to get to tabernacle and the temple because it's tied into the feast. All of the feasts surround basically the tabernacle and the temple. So, But the feast, as, as you probably know, the, in the English translation, it talks about the feast of the Lord. But in Hebrew, it says the moeds of the Lord. And and, and that, that really means... Um, uh, practices or or rehearsals or uh, celebrations in a, in, a, in a celebratory way. I liken it like this: If you're going to have a wedding, the first thing you're going to have have is a rehearsal. Well, the rehearsal is real and it's fun, and everybody eats together, and of course they practice the you know the actual wedding. Uh, but it's a rehearsal. It's not the wedding. They're not married yet until the wedding takes place, but there's first a rehearsal. So all of the feasts of the Lord, and it might take too long to go through them all, but but all of the feasts of the Lord paint pictures, just like Passover and the lamb and the blood over the doorpost and eat the lamb and a male lamb and a one-year-old perfect male lamb and choose him on the 10th, sacrifice him on the 14th. We know that when Jesus came and went through the Eastern Gate and, and, and the crowds came, he was on the back of the donkey and they were calling him the Messiah. And it was on the 10th of Nisan. They were choosing their lamb. They didn't even realize it. On the 14th, they were gathered around saying, crucify him, crucify him. The same ones. They were saying, slaughter him. And then by Passover, here's the lamb on the cross. The same imagery we got way back in Exodus 12 from Moses. And so it's all coming to life now in Jesus Christ. Here's the real thing. Passover, all of that was a rehearsal. It was a rehearsal for the people to see, get the images, and those images would grow and grow and grow until Jesus finally came. So you're right, the tabernacle the same way. So they go into the wilderness. They want to have a way for God to, to commune with them and them with God. They know in their hearts that they were cut off from that personal communion that was, that was present in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. But Adam and Eve and Satan, that was cut off. So now the tabernacle, the book of Hebrews talks about this. It says that everything that's, that we see, the temple, the temple mount, the sacrifices, all of that, it's just a copy of, and the, and the book of Hebrews says this, of what's behind the veil. What's that? Another dimension. What's behind the veil? The reality, the real temple, which is the person and presence of God himself in perfection. We see it again in Revelation 21 and 22. We get the picture of it there. But so the tabernacle represents Jesus, our relationship with him. All of the feasts come through the priest and through the tabernacle, and, and they all represent something along the line of, of, of Jesus. Passover, very quickly, represents the lamb that was slain. The feast of, 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 of unleavened bread represents the bread without sin, without yeast. That's Jesus. I'm the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem, uh, the house of bread, and he's the bread of life. And then, of course, the feast of first fruits, which occurred the first day after the first Sabbath, after Passover, which was Sunday morning that year. Go now ahead. Let me let me ask you along this line of thinking: When the ancient Hebrews left uh, Egypt on that faithful Passover, yeah. the rabbis say that they reached Mount Sinai to receive the commandments yep. of their God on the day of Pentecost yes. on Shavuot. Yes. They so, celebrate it to this day. Yes, absolutely. And so this whole idea that somehow in the New Testament, that very uh, moed, as you're saying, that appointed day of, 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 the, of the Feast of Weeks of, uh, uh, of Pentecost yeah. is somehow activated and becomes the day where the Holy Spirit is given. Yes. And so tell us about that, this idea okay. that of the temple suddenly, you know, Paul, uh, I have read, says something along the lines of the human body has become the yes. temple of the living God. What does yes. that mean? Yes. No, it's it's a thank you. I, I love teaching this, too. So, uh, uh, yes, um, 
Okay, yeah. The, the, the modern Hebrews, even today, they celebrate, as you said, Pentecost, Shavuot, um, as one of the things they celebrate is that this represents the birth of Israel at Mount Sinai, that the nation was born, watch this, at the giving of the law. Well, how was the church born? At the giving of the spirit. Jeremiah 31, 31 tells, I'm going to make a new covenant, not the law, now by the spirit my word is going to be written upon your heart. So, I mean, it's all right there in the word of God. Um, but isn't it interesting that God's two witnesses, the olive tree and the lampstand, Jesus said the lampstand is the church. God says to Israel, I've called you my olive tree. Paul talks in Romans 11, the olive tree, the Jews and Gentiles are grafted in and out depending upon their belief or unbelief. And he calls them the real Israel together. And so all of this is wrapped up Israel and the church are born on the same day, one by the law, one by the spirit. So that's an amazing thing. And then um, the other question you asked me that I said I loved to answer. You remember what it was? The temple of the human body becomes the yes. temple of the Holy yes. Spirit. Okay. The meeting the place of man and God. Yes. By the time we get to the New Testament, the Bible is so clear about this, and, and when I share this with people, it usually just blows them away and wakes them up because we've, there's, there's so much mythology about new temples on the Temple Mount and, you know, and all. But, but this, this is not what Paul teaches, and, and what he says is, listen, Paul was called up to paradise before John the Revelator, and John the Revelator, I mean, Paul— uh, died in 67 AD, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So when Paul writes all of his writings from Romans right on through, um, he he uses, in the English translation, you see the word temple about 16 times through all of his books. But there's two words in the Greek for temple, two words in the Hebrew, and they correspond as well. But in the Greek, we're reading the New Testament, it's hi-eron and naos, or naon. Um, and, and there's two differences. He Oran means the building, the temple on the Temple Mount, the whole building of the temple edifice, Solomon's He Oran. But Naos means, it can mean the inner sanctum, the holy of holies, but it's used most often in the New Testament to mean the holy place and meaning the body, the human body, the human heart that's regenerate and born again. It also means the church, the body of believer, Jew and Gentile, become the naos of God. So when we look at Paul's writings, one time he uses the word he Iran in 1 Corinthians when he's teaching about um, he's teaching about Jesus being the greatest sacrifice and, and the fulfillment of all this. But he says, now when the priests go up to the he Iran and offer their sacrifices, and then he goes on with his sermon. That's the only time. Now he's living in the time when the temple is still there. But from there on, Every other time the word temple is used, he never speaks of the temple on the Temple Mount again. I think it's because he knew it was going to be gone in a few years, because when he went to paradise, I think he was shown that. Jesus prophesied it, but he never told his disciples when. I think Paul knew that it was coming soon after his death, so he didn't even talk about the temple. Instead, he said, let me tell you, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are bought with a price. You're not your own. You are the dwelling place of God when you are born again. And then he talks to the church. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? And then in Ephesians 2, he says, don't you know that the Jew and the Gentile under the blood of Jesus Christ are being born, are being brought together? The two are being made one. And they're being brought to peace and being made one under the blood of Jesus. And you are the temple of God. You are the new temple of God. And every time he uses the word temple, he uses the word naos. He never again uses the word he oran. So what he's talking about, Ali, he's, he's, he's telling us that the temple, Jesus himself said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. And John says he was talking about himself. He is the temple. By the time we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we're told there is no temple in heaven because God himself is the temple. Jesus is the temple. The lamb is the temple. And we are now dwelling. We're tabernacling, it says, with him and him with us. When, so, we, anyway. when we come back uh, from the commercial, Blake, I want you to tell us about the battle for the restoration of all things, which is underway. Okay. 
It's time to try the tea everyone's talking about. Nothing does what Life Change Tea does. They have no competition. Life Change Tea helps support a healthy body. It tastes great and leaves you feeling refreshed every day. I can't get enough of my pomegranate super tea. I brew two gallons at a time and let it steep in the fridge overnight, enough to last me the entire week. And every morning I have a 16-ounce glass of this amazing GMO non-caffeinated herbal tea. It keeps me regular by providing a gentle cleanse every day. I'm never gassy or bloated, and good health begins with a healthy gut. This pomegranate super tea is not available in any store. You need to go to getthetea.com. Go to getthetea.com. Use the code UNLIMITED, and all your orders ship for free. All of them. It's time to get your tea from getthetea.com. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet there are several tiers to choose from pick which one is right for you but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated as a sign of my appreciation you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show or you could have your name included in a crawl on my youtube channel live stream you could also receive episodes of my old podcast the rock and roll twilight zone this critically acclaimed podcast produced in partnership with chris jericho is not currently available anywhere else if you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program the conspiracy show you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet I'm here with Pastor Carl Gallup. We were discussing the multidimensional reality of the Bible, the appointed days, the pointing to the new, as well as this idea that the body is the meeting place of man and God as we become the very temple of God. Pastor, let me ask you something that I read in your book. You speak about the battle for the restoration of all things is now underway. What do you mean by the restoration of all things? What is it that needs to be restored? That's the whole message of the Word of God. Genesis 3 tells us what happened to this world. Listen, this world is filled with beauty, the night sky, the mountains, the oceans, the lakes, the rivers, the the, the nature, the animals, even people. It's filled with beauty, but it's also filled with darkness. It's filled with corruption. The Bible says the whole creation groans in anticipation of the restoration of all things. And so we're in the middle of this fallen world. And so Genesis 3 tells us what happened. The rest of the Bible from Genesis 3 to the coming of Jesus goes to the cross. That's why I went to the cross, to reconcile us to, to, to back to our Father so that we could be back in paradise like it was meant from the beginning, but only for those now who are willing to choose God and serve him freely, by free will. We're not robots. We're not puppets on a string. But we come to him confessing that we need him. We repent. He covers us in his blood. He receives us. The Bible says to them who believed upon Jesus, he gave the right to be called. In Hebrew, it would be B'nai Elohim, the sons of God. That's a word right out of the Old Testament that means like the angelic beings, the divine beings, like Adam and Eve were B'nai Elohim until they sinned. They were divine. They would never die. And the Bible ends by saying no more pain, no more death, no no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. All things have been restored. All things have been made new. So from Genesis 3 to Revelation 21 and 22, the whole word of God is about this work that God is doing. He's moving in all that direction. Now, there's one verse that says it all. People, if somebody, you know, sometimes people joke and say, well, the hardest question in the world is to answer, uh, what's the meaning of life? Actually, it's the easiest one. And the Bible answers it in one verse. What's the meaning of life? Ephesians 1, 9. Behold, God has revealed his will to us. He is bringing everything in heaven and on earth back together again under one head, Jesus Christ. That's the meaning of life. It's the restoration of all things. But the problem is Satan thinks he owns it. He stole it, but he thinks by stealing it and by having it for so long and and immersing his darkness through the demonic that are with him, 
in other realms, yet they can come. They, God is allowing them for a while to come into our realm and to go back to their realm. Into our realm, they manipulate people, they manipulate thrones, they manipulate powers, they infest religiosity, they infest the church, they infest governments, they infest Hollywood, they infest uh, media, they infest the internet, they infest anywhere there's power. He's the prince of the power of the air. And so what's God doing? He's restoring it all through Jesus Christ. Listen, I compare it like this. People say, yeah, but you say you say victory in Jesus, that the battle is won, but it doesn't look like it. It looks like it's still a mess. No, 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 no. It's like a football game. The game started in the first quarter. We're now in the fourth quarter. We have the ball. We're on the five-yard line of making a touchdown. The clock is running out. There's about five minutes left. We are beating the other team 85 to nothing. Now, are we going to win this game? Yeah. Well, what are we going to do with these other five minutes? We're going to play it down to the end. Doesn't matter. And the other team, if they have any guts at all, they're going to play to save face. They're going to try to at least make us fumble or intercept a ball or hurt some of us. Maybe sack our quarterback and break his leg. Revelation 12, 12 says this. Woe unto you, earth, in those last days, because Satan has been thrown down to you. He is filled with rage because he knows his time is short. Uh, translation. It's the fourth quarter, five minutes to go. He's behind 85 points, and he's angry, and he's going to cheat. He's going to do everything he can, take somebody out, and that's what's happening. The battle has been won. It was won at Calvary's cross. It was won by the empty tomb, and Satan knows it. Why did we find ourselves in such a tale? Like, why was humanity targeted by Satan to start with? Yeah, in the, in the scheme of all things, the Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain before the, the foundation of the world. It says that in Revelation, and Peter talks about it. 1 Peter, he says, and so what does that mean? That means when God breathed into Adam's nostrils, he knew all of this was going to happen. Why did he do this? Because when he made us in his image, see, he made the angels in his image too. The angels have total freedom of will. They can create like we can create. They can't create like God creates, and neither can we. We, can't, we cannot manufacture a gnat, and neither can Satan. Why? Because a gnat has life in it. Only God can. Now, Satan can get involved in technology. We can develop technology and have demonic influence and artificial intelligence and artificial robots and humans, but he can't breathe life into a pile of dirt and turn it into a living, thinking, communicating, creating creature. God can, and he did it with the angelic realm. That's why some of them left and went with Satan. They could choose. Hold on to that thought as we come back from okay. the break. You can finish your thought. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Welcome back to the program. We are here with Pastor Carl Gaps. Why is it that Satan, this angelic creature, yeah. targeted the human race, targeted Adam? Yeah. What, why did he do that? Well, first of all, some of it's a mystery. The, the Word of God doesn't tell us all the details, but we get enough to at least get the general character and nature and story. And so I, I was just saying, taking the scriptures, I'm piecing the story together for your audience. And that is before God created, before he breathed Adam, he knew all of this was going to happen. But it was done for our benefit. See, we're the, we're the, we're the, um, you know, the ancestors, if you will, of, um, of Adam and Eve, I mean, you know, but, but, but they, they, they brought death in by their disobedience. And boy, that's another whole show, what that was and what happened and what really happened in the Garden of Eden. I've written a book on that called Gods of Ground Zero. But the bottom line is God knew all of this. He knew it all was going to happen. Ezekiel 28 
He says in Ezekiel 28 about Satan, it's, it's a compound prophecy. It starts off talking about the king of Tyre, but then it moves into a description of Satan. He said, you are a guardian cherub. You were my guardian cherub. You were the most beautiful thing I created. You were the most intelligent thing I created. In fact, he goes on to talk about another scripture. He was a worship leader uh, of, of heaven. He was one of the living creatures, Ezekiel tells us, um, and and that's what a cherub is, cher- the cherubim, they're the leechers that surround the throne of God. Isaiah 14 also talk about the five I wills, the yeah, ambition. Yeah, you're going a, there? Yeah, okay. you're right, Ali. That's exactly where I was headed. Ezekiel 28 tells us his, it, who he is and that he was, he, it, God says, you profaned the garden. I put you in the garden. See, Satan was placed there as the guardian cherub, like the governor of the garden. See, when God created the earth, he stepped into this new dimension he created, and he chose this planet for whatever reason, and there he put his throne. He brought the sons of God and, and placed them, and, and man and the ange- what we call the angelic realm, they had communion. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. When Satan tempted and said, you can be like us. Why didn't Adam and Eve say us? Us who? What are you talking about? No, he knew Satan was one of them. They knew they communicated more than likely with the angelic realm until they were cut off at the fall. So it was meant to be where this first creation of God, the angelic realm, the sons of God who shouted for joy, the book of Job tells us, when the earth was created and Adam and Eve were created, they were already in existence. So God creates a whole new playground, if you will. And and he creates Adam and Eve and tells them, now you, this is your domain, you fill the earth, subdue it, uh, multiply, be fruitful. And in the meantime, Satan was growing. We don't know when it happened, but he was growing more and more envious and jealous. Ezekiel 38 tells us, I mean, 28 tells us, Isaiah 14 tells us, I want this. I want this. I will, I will be God of this planet right here. You know, you've got your own thing. I'm going to take this. And so he could, but he had to get it from Adam and Eve. They were the legal holders of it. So, so to get it, he had to profane it. He had to make them profane it with him so that God would turn his back on it, would have to. And so they did, and he did, and God knew they would. Looking forward into the meaning of life and, and how all this contributes to that knowledge, isn't it, is it true that Paul says that the destiny of, of, of the restored human race will be to judge the angels? Yes. Yeah, and, and Paul speaks of that. Uh, we get another taste of that from Revelation about we will rule and reign with him. There's, of course, the great white throne. The the the, the books are open. Uh, you know. The, so, so could so, it be that Satan wanted this for himself? He wanted to be exactly. the first principle of the creation. Exactly. And here God comes and surprises everyone by creating those who will be his image bearers. Exactly. And then he's he sees that as competition and so he figures if he can take out the competition he can carry out his personal ambitions is that a possibility that is a possibility as i said we don't know the details in black and white in other words there's not scripture that says what you said but you can certainly and i agree with you extrapolate uh, a what I call a biblical assumption. In other words, it's an assumption, but there are biblical connections that give it great credence. And so I'm I'm with you in that. In your book, you say, as far as divine reclamation prices goes, and the exact location and precise timing of each subsequent event is vital. Every detail is now in the of completing its appointed convergence yes. this night has been planned since the beginning of time. Yes. What are these convergences? What is this mysterious night that brings together all these points? Well, I think there I was referring to the night of, of the the birth of the Christ child. I think that's where, where you're pulling that sentence from. Um, the book's about 300 pages long, so I, I'm, but, I'm, but, but I believe that's the night. I was just talking, I was trying to set the stage for the holiness of that night. We talk about, you know, oh, holy night and, you know, silent night, holy night. Yeah, it was on that night that the plan at the throne 
that was before the foundation of the world was planned, it was beginning to converge and coming, bursting into forth into flesh and into reality. The word was becoming flesh on that night. That word would eventually, 33 years later, wind up as the sacrificial lamb on the cross, opening the portal, the door to the throne room of God. And the resurrection would prove it. The resurrection was God's thumbing his nose at Satan. It was Jesus saying, I won, you lost. I mean, we're still playing the game here, but we're in the fourth quarter, and I'm so far ahead, you will never, ever, ever even come close to winning again. Now, and so in the Gospel that, of that's Luke, what I mean. In the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus comes back from the dead in a physical manner. He tells his disciples, put your hands in my wounds, touch yes. me. He asks, he says that he's not a ghost, that he has flesh and bone. That's right. And he asks for food. Are we to understand that in there is a future destiny on this planet, a prophetic destiny? Is the, the Lord going to return to the earth as a man and actually establish a physical kingdom on this planet and usher in a new age of history? Or is that really just a symbol for something else? All right. Everything you said before the word or, the answer is yes, yes, and yes. And it could also be a symbol of what may happen after all of that, because the Bible says we will rule and reign with him. And there are implications that he probably will continue his creative process with those that now love him and are serving him as obedient uh, to him and not rebelling against him, not pulling a Judas on him like Satan did in the garden. And so, yeah, I, it's it, we will rule and reign with him and, and I, we will be physical, but we will be fitted like Adam and Eve were. They were flesh and blood, but they would never die. They were divine. Peter says it like this. I think it's first Peter. I think it's chapter four where he says, and by, by coming to Christ, you have escaped the corruption of your flesh which was brought about by your immorality, your epithumia, it says in Greek, uh, and that ties to sexual sin and, and all kinds of filth. He says, but you've been recovered from that, and because of that, your divine nature is going to be restored to you. That word divine doesn't, doesn't mean we're going to become gods of our own planets or doesn't mean we're going to be like grow wings and become angels. It means we're going to be like Adam and Eve restored wow. no more That's death no more pain no more crying flesh and blood never to die again and we will rule and reign with whatever jesus decides to create as eternity goes forward you know pastor that makes a lot of sense to me because if god is good and god is love then he has to heal the human condition yes it can't just be a salvation of the soul it has to be this world this painful world we all live in these painful lives we all experience have to be changed yes. there has to be a new heaven and a new earth and all of these things that the bible promises it was such a fascinating conversation folks you got to go out and buy this book glimpses of glory you can get it on amazon it will touch your heart i'm convinced of it it's a powerful and insightful uh, tale of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Thank you so much for being our guest tonight, Pastor. Thank you very much. God Ali, it's my pleasure. God bless you, my brother. I hope we can get to do something again in the future, and please give Richard my love. I will. Thank you, sir. Okay. Well, guys, don't go away because we'll be coming back with Paul Levy, our next guest. Is the pandemic in your head? As you're staring up at the night sky... Ever wonder who's staring back? You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. If you're a fan of this radio program and the Strange Planet podcast, why not show it off by wearing Strange Planet apparel or drinking from a Strange Planet mug? Check out all the great Strange Planet merch in my Strange Planet shop. Just go to the website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca, and click on Shop in the menu. There's a huge selection of men's and women's t-shirts. You like crop circles or the Mayan calendar? Gotcha covered. Are you into the Anunnaki? Wait till you see these designs. My favorite right now, lions do not lose sleep over the opinions of sheep. And one of our best sellers right now, Truth Gets You Crucified on the front and a passage from Matthew chapter 23 on the back. So many great t-shirt designs, I don't know where to begin. There's women's leggings and tote bags and of course, mugs. 
Great gifts for family and friends who listen and love this show. My Strange Planet Shop. Visit today and often. Just go to strangeplanet.ca.